0: We just stepped on their face with a boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, back with even more insight on the upcoming matchup between Georgia and Ohio State in the College Bowl Playoff. If you're new to the show, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast and platform. You can email us, tiderunsports at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And if you like this, please do share it before Saturday's game and educate all of your friends. So about three weeks ago, the crew, Dr. J, Scott, the status assassin, and myself did a preview of the college football playoff and gave some preliminary thoughts on the matchup between Georgia and Ohio State. I mentioned at the time that I had not had time to do an extensive watch of Ohio State to understand how their offense works, how they attack. And since then, I have. So, With my research now done Here is everything else you need to know About UJ versus Ohio State The first thing I think is worth pointing out Is that this game is being Billed as Ohio State's offense Versus UJ's defense as those are the marquee Units Ohio State has By pretty much every measure One of the top three Offenses in the country not quite As good as Tennessee but Right there around where Tennessee is And UJ By Every metric, just about, is one of the top two defenses in the country, if not the best. They did take a little bit of a step back statistically after that second half against LSU in the SC Championship game. But there's still no question that UJ easily has the best defense in the college ball playoff, if not still the best defense in the country. Although statistically, Iowa is really, really close there with them. So the Buckeyes come at averaging, and this is kind of insane, y'all, 44 points a game. (laughs) And on the year, they've scored 61 total offensive touchdowns, excuse me, 67 total offensive touchdowns, averaging 7.3 yards per play. By comparison, Georgia comes in with 61 offensive touchdowns on the year, 6.97 yards per play. The two teams in yards per game are literally a yard apart. Ohio State has 492.7 yards per game, and Georgia at 491.9 yards per game. And if I didn't mention it, Georgia comes in at 39 points per game. So Ohio State, I believe, is second in the country in raw points per game at 44.5, and Georgia comes in 11th at 39.2. The teams do get it done in different measures, as Georgia's thrown the ball 54 more times than Ohio State, and that is with an extra game. Um, they've thrown six interceptions. Ohio State has thrown six interceptions. Georgia's thrown for 3,704 yards. Ohio State is thrown for 3,530 yards, with Ohio State averaging 9.39 yards per attempt and Georgia at 8.61 yards per attempt. Ohio State has 38 total passing touchdowns. Georgia has 24 passing touchdowns. And the yards per game, there's a 10-yard difference with Ohio State at 294 passing yards per game and Georgia at 284 passing yards per game. Flipping it to the rushing, Georgia has rushed for 207 yards per game at 5.3. 53 yards per carry Ohio State has rushed for 5.49 yards per carry and 198.5 yards per game so Georgia so Georgia with the advantage rushing Ohio State with a slight advantage passing but as you can see both these teams are very balanced and a lot of people don't think of Ohio State as being as balanced an offense as they are a lot of people don't realize that Georgia has thrown the ball as much as they have something we've been pointing out all year including the fact that Stetson Bennett actually has more passing yards this season than C.J. Stroud. The real big difference in these offenses comes down to one area, and it is very simply the red zone. Georgia has had 71 red zone trips this season with 48 touchdowns, 21 field goals, and overall 69 scores out of 79 red zone trips. That's a 97% red zone scoring percentage, which is number one in the country. Ohio State has had 58 red zone trips with 44 touchdowns and 11 field goals, making them 55-58 in the red zone on the year with a 94.8 red zone scoring percentage. If you're doing the math, that puts UGA's red zone touchdown percentage at 67% and Ohio State's red zone touchdown percentage at 75%. That right there accounts for the five-point-per-game difference in these offenses. When Ohio State gets in the red zone, they score touchdowns. When UJ gets in the red zone, they mostly score touchdowns, but they kick a lot of field goals. And for the difference in raw red zone trips, A, UJ's played one more game, and B, this shows what we've seen on film, Ohio State hits more explosive plays, and a lot of their scores come from outside of the red zone. So, again, if you're wondering why statistically the yardage is so close between these teams and yet the difference in their scoring is so different – that's why. So imagine if you just take one UGA red zone field goal each game and turn that into a score. Just one. One of those field goals each time UJ's in the red zone per game turn that into a touchdown. That's an extra four points per game when you're right up there with the Ohio States and Tennessees at over 40 points per game. It's that simple. So the red zone offenses on both teams are good, but one of the things that Ohio State has to be thinking is if they can get UGA in a situation where UJ's kicking field goal, field goal, field goal and Ohio State can hang on long enough to score just a couple of touchdowns, well, UGA's four field goals is less than Ohio State's two touchdowns in the red zone, even though Ohio State might not be playing as well on offense as UGA. And that's something we've seen in other games where UGA has kept the score close, (coughs) Kentucky, because they couldn't punch the ball in the red zone, even though they were dominating the game from the eye test. Now, on the other side of the ball, the big gap is between these red zone defenses. UGA's red zone defense has allowed 28 red zone trips on the season, and give it up nine rushing touchdowns, eight field goals, and seven total scores. So only 61% of red zone trips by UJ's opponents have resulted in scores, which is insane. Eleven times their opponents have gotten inside the red zone and gotten shut out. <laughs> That's number one in the country. By contrast, Ohio State has allowed only 23 red zone trips with 14 red zone touchdowns and seven red zone field goals, meaning teams are 21 of 23 against them. For a 91.3% scoring rate. That's 121st in the country. So you have UGA, the best red zone defense in the country, going against an Ohio State red zone offense that is elite. And then you have UGA's red zone offense, one of the best in the country, going in against an Ohio State red zone defense that is abysmal. I honestly think this is one of the key factors in this game that no one else is talking about. And as sluggish as UGA has been in the red zone this year, it could be a game like this against a defense that isn't great in the red zone that could be just what the doctor ordered. If you get the Stetson, Bennett, and UGA offense we saw in the red zone against LSU, they might score 50 points in this game. Like, that's on the table. Now, one of the other things that's been talked about a lot is the importance of C.J. Stroud and the importance of UGA getting pressure on him. Well, I'm here to tell you all, not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> on the year, Ohio State has given up eight sacks, and UJ has given up seven. So, pressuring CJ Stroud, I know that sounds good, but I just don't know if it's going to happen. Georgia on the year has only recorded 26 sacks, and we talked about how that's a very, very misleading number because of the number of throwaways other quarterbacks have had against them. Guys like Bone Nix and Spencer Rattler that are notoriously hard to sack because they will backpedal for 30 yards and just chunk the ball into the bleachers. And how Georgia's pressure rate against all of their opponents is higher than the average against those opponents when you compare the rest of their schedule. But having said that, Ohio State does have a very good offensive line. Um, They don't give up a lot of pressure on C.J. Stroud. And he is mobile enough to get away from pressure when he gets it. But more than likely, what he's going to do is get rid of the ball. And one of the things that people haven't been talking about is one of the reasons that C.J. Stroud is hard to sack is because Ohio State gets rid of the ball. As much as people picture the Ohio State offense being this explosive downfield attack, Ohio State is really much more of an intermediate attack, throwing lots of underneath throws and throws across the middle of the field. They will take their shots on the outside, but they're not throwing go routes every five plays like a Tennessee. Their offense is completely different. They are hitches, slants, curls. They they do a lot more of those intermediate throws, and lots of big plays come off of catch and runs where they get one-on-one matchups, hit the receivers in stride, and they're off to the races. Now, they will still go throw go balls to Marvin Harrison Jr., who is the best receiver in the country this season, in my opinion. But again, I want you to picture a different attack than what Tennessee did. They're not going to be throwing go balls every few plays. This is a much more measured controlled attack. And I think you're going to see them come up with a game plan that is very similar to what they did against Michigan. Against Michigan... They made lots of quick throws at the perimeter to simulate their run game, knowing that Michigan would be hard to run the ball against. And they had some success running the ball against Michigan, but not sustained success. And they used quick screens, hitches, bubbles to get the ball to the perimeter to kind of get those easy first and second down yards. Took a few shots deep, but really attacked Michigan in those intermediate places, like I said. And, again, that makes it hard to get pressure when it's one, two, three balls out, or even worse, catch, balls out. So, I don't think that pressuring C.J. Stroud, as much as we want to talk about it, is going to be something you see a lot of. Now, if you're Georgia, should you still blitz? Absolutely. Yes. Are they going to send slot blitzes? Yes. Are they going to send inside linebacker stunts? Yes. They're going to do all of that. But don't be surprised if Georgia's blitzing isn't as effective as you've seen in other games this year. Just know that Ohio State does have a good offensive line. They have massive tackles that are probably slightly overrated, but still very, very good players. And C.J. Stroud is a guy that just doesn't hold onto the ball and take a lot of sacks. Now, just to be clear, Ohio State does throw the ball deep, and they like to attack teams with seam routes and post routes across the middle of the field. So you're going to see probably more of those than you'll see the straight-up shots on the sideline, although I do expect them to go trips open, put Marvin Harrison Jr. to the one-receiver side, and throw goal balls on Keely Ringo because with the way he's played the ball the last few weeks, they're probably either counting on him to get mossed or for him to commit a pass interference penalty. But for other receivers, you'll see a lot of Julian Fleming down the seam. Every now and then you'll see Cade Stover, and you'll see all their receivers run their deep post routes. Now, one of the things against Georgia is Georgia is going to stay in two highs. That's one of the hallmarks of the Kirby Smart Saban defenses. They're going to stay too high at all times. So it's going to be interesting to see how our safeties are our coached to play these vertical routes, as typically when Ohio State runs these routes, they'll get a vertical route at the outside and then a or post route, causing your two high safeties to choose between which route they can help on. And it'll be interesting to see where the shots come, whether Georgia tells their safeties to hug on those interior routes and to give away shots to the outside, or whether safeties are told to play wide and to have their slot players hold on to man-to-man coverage. So that'll be an interesting piece of scheme to watch. One more thing to talk about with the Ohio State offense is the fact that they don't change personnel. <laughs> they play 11 personnel almost the entire game. And what they do is they'll take their tight end, H-back, everything caged over and move them around to get in whatever formations they want. So if they want to give you a look like it's 20 personnel, they'll simply slide him into a H-back, fullback position. When they want to go four wide, they'll split him out. And they will also move him outside a lot of times as a lead blocker in their quick screen game, similar to what Georgia does with Bowers and Washington. So he's kind of the key to their offense. He is a good receiver, although he is not anywhere near the athlete that like a Bowers is. Uh, probably similar to Washington in athleticism, if not even a little bit more athletic, but he's not a burner. And he does have good hands. He's a good receiver. He's super versatile. But that allows them to get into all kinds of different sets without necessarily having a sub. So it makes them very hard to personnel, but in some ways easier to scheme because, again, you know who's going to be on the field at all times. It's going to be Abuka, Fleming, and Harrison Jr. with Stovert tight end, and then most likely, Maya Williams in the backfield. So, again, for them, you generally know who's going to be on the field, and when they go heavy, it's usually only on short yards and goal line. You're not going to see them go two tight ends in the middle of the field to run power. That's not what they do. Whereas Georgia will absolutely do that and then bootleg off it and throw the one of those same guys. You're not going to get that out of them. So that's one of the things you're going to notice is that they keep the same personnel on the field, which again for Georgia makes it harder to personnel, but in some ways maybe easier to scheme. Now one of the ways in which they are similar to Tennessee is that you're going to get a bunch of doubles and trips. And you'll get some of those double sets where they'll get the extra wide splits like three yards on the sideline to create spacing they use that a lot for their quick screens also and I mentioned this earlier but you'll see a lot of times where Cade Stover is lined up in stacked twins as the head man so that he can lead block but he will also run routes out of it now from an Ohio State standpoint what are they going to do to stop Georgia's attack we've already mentioned that they are a very aggressive blitzing defense but against Georgia I just really wonder if that's the attack they're going to take Scott and I were discussing this the other day and I said that if I was at Ohio State, I might sit back and too high and let Georgia just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball down the field and then use all my aggressive calls in the red zone to see if I could hold them to field goals. Scott said he would do the exact opposite. He said he would commit everybody in the world to the box, try to stop Georgia's run game, and dare Georgia to beat them on the outside with a you know pretty unspectacular group of playmakers at receiver. Outside of Donnie Mitchell... You know, no one in Georgia has shown the ability to win consistently on the outside one-on-one. McConkie's done it at times, but I don't know that teams fear him. I mean, he's fast, but he's had some really bad moments. I mean, you mean go back to that Kent State game where he probably should have had four touchdowns in the first half, and I don't know that people fear him as a one-on-one threat. Mitchell's really the only guy that scares you, which is why Georgia just went to the portal and got two more receivers that are proven in the SEC, but... I don't necessarily think that's how I would approach playing Georgia, but I think Scott is probably right in that that is more likely the approach that Ohio State's going to take, where you're going to get a heavy box, they're going to try to stop Georgia's run game, and they're going to dare Georgia to win one-on-ones on the outside. And the question is, can Georgia do that? I wasn't familiar with Jim Knowles' 4-2-5. I knew that he ran a goofy defense, but... His version of the 4-2-5 is way different than the Saban smart Jeremy Pruitt version that they've been running at UGA in Alabama and even over at Tennessee. They play a true three-safety look, which by contrast, in the smart defense, their 4-2-5, meaning four defensive linemen, two inside linebackers, and five defensive backs is a little different. In the George defense, one of those four is really an outside linebacker defensive end hybrid like a Nolan Smith who can put their hand on the ground and rush the passer, but also drop back into coverage. The two inside backers are two traditional inside backers. And then the five are two corners and two safeties. And then the star position, which is more or less a safety corner hybrid. Now, again, this is different than the traditional nickel player in the NFL. When you hear about a nickel player in the NFL, a nickel player is a slot corner. He is a corner that plays inside over the slot receiver. The star is a little bit different. As they truly are a hybrid player, they are usually either a safety that can cover really well or a corner that can tackle really well, which is why it's so hard to find guys that fit that position really well. Javon Bullard is maybe the best star that Georgia has had since Kirby's been here. He's phenomenal, and he's probably going to make a lot of money doing that same thing in the NFL. But that whole approach to the 425 is way different than what Ohio State does where Ohio State is going to have a three-safety look, well, they will walk those safeties up into the box to replace linebackers. They will split them out over, over slot receivers, and they will also walk them up and play man-to-man with them over tight ends. Again, nothing like what UJ does. So with Ohio State, you're going to get a lot of match coverages that end up being man. And I was talking to a guy on my men's league basketball team who's an analyst for UJ, and we got to about what Ohio State does. And he said, you know, on defense – there are a lot of man, but it's just match, meaning that they have zone principles that turn into man after a certain depth. All that to say is what you're going to get a lot of is Ohio State playing one high looks that, that don't look like one high. By that, I mean you'll see three safeties in the middle of the field, and you'll see the two outside safeties walk up to cover whoever they're going to cover pre-snap. A lot of times what that means is that you're going to end up with those two outside safeties covering our tight ends in man-to-man coverage. So the two to watch for are Ronnie Hickman, number 14 for Ohio State, and Latham Ransom, number 12 for Ohio State. Ransom being the one that got victimized a little bit against Michigan, personally, I think Hickman might be the best player in their entire secondary. So he is the one that you're going to try to avoid, whereas you're going to try to hunt for matchups with Ransom, and also players like Josh Proctor and Tanner McAllister, number 41 and number 15. And Scott mentioned this on the last podcast, but... Ohio State plays a very aggressive style defense. They will blitz their inside linebackers a lot. And they'll also do some interesting things with the front. So they'll bump their end into a wide nine, put their defensive tackle in a shade on the center, and then walk their inside linebacker up into B-gap and play him at two yards off the ball. So they end up with what looks like a five-man front. Then they'll replace that inside linebacker in the box, one of their three safeties, and roll the other safety down to the other side to give them a one-high look, and it's a seven-man box or an eight-man box in a very non-traditional way. So they do these kind of things, and as Scott mentioned, one of the things about being so aggressive with where you place your linebackers and how you blitz them is that you do end up forcing negative plays. The problem is anytime you blitz inside linebackers, if you pick the wrong gap, you leave your third-level defenders uncovered having to make one-on-one open field tackles. This is precisely what happened in the, the game against Michigan, and they missed those tackles. They blitzed the linebackers. They got pinned or blocked, and Michigan was out the gate. Now, I don't think Georgia has a single running back as fast as Donovan Edwards, so instead of those being 7-yard runs, they'll probably be 40-yard runs where we get caught from behind. But the point being, if Georgia can hold on to their blocks, which, again, they are possibly the best offensive line in the country, I think you could see some really big chunk plays in the run game. And if Washington and Bowers can win one-on-ones against Hickman and the other safeties, you might see some big chunk plays out of the tight ends as well. I think Ohio State, with what they do scheme-wise, is going to have a very hard time matching up with Georgia's 12 personnel because our tight ends are such good receivers. I simply don't think their corners can hold on. And Ohio State playing as much one-high as they do is going to give you shots down the field. I hope and pray Aaron Smith is part of our game plan. Especially if Ladd McConkey is not healthy. Ohio State struggled to cover double moves. You had them losing Cornelius Washington twice. You had them losing Michigan's tight ends on double moves. They struggled with double moves in that game. And I'd like to think that Ladd McConkey and Aaron Smith are at least as good and definitely as fast as Cornelius Washington. So they're going to have shots deep if they can hit them, which we know depending on which week it is, good Stetson or bad Stetson, those are either dimes or they're frustrating overthrows. But either way, I think that what Ohio State does is a poor matchup for what UJ is good at doing. And I think that Georgia is going to move the ball at will and will score at least 30 plus points if, if, if they are good in the red zone and they do not do the one thing we've talked about all year, turning the ball over. Now, On the season, Ohio State has only forced 17 turnovers. Georgia, by contrast, has forced 16. But Ohio State has only lost 10 turnovers, less than one per game, whereas Georgia has lost 17. So Georgia on the year is actually a minus one on turnover ratio and is the number one team in the country, which is crazy. So if, if, if Georgia can prevent turning the ball over, I think this is a game where you're looking at 35-plus points and and 500-plus yards of offense. I really think that's the most likely outcome. On the other side of the ball, I think you will see Ohio State move the ball. It's going to be frustrating at times where it's third and eight and they throw a nine-yard pass, or it's third and six and they throw an eight-yard slant, and they're going to do that. They're going to make contested catches. Marvin Harrison will have some kind of highlight catch on someone down the sideline, and they're going to get some touchdowns in the red zone. They're going to do those things. But the hope is that you keep them off balance and you get enough stops that – They can't keep up. Kind of similar to how we were in the LSU game. Obviously, you hope we play a little bit better defense than that. But I think that that's how the game could end up playing out, where Georgia just moves the ball well on offense. And if they execute in the red zone and don't turn the ball over, we could simply outscore Ohio State while their offense is still effective, but outscore them them in a game that is probably – in a game with a projected over-under of 62, and that seems honestly about right. If you'd go by the spread, that would put UJ winning this game 34-28. I think that if UJ wins, it's probably by a little bit more, more like eight to 10 points. But I think the 34 points is about right. I would probably have this game somewhere close to like 35 to 24 or 38 to 30, something in that range. But I think when you look at it in the matchups in the advantages that UJ has athletically in a few spots, I think that this is a dog's win and a repeat appearance in the national championship. This has been Dave Bethay for the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.